On this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we kick off Financial Literacy Month, and we welcome Together We Bake to the show to tell their story. Stick around. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another episode of Check Your Balances. I am Dan Maseka, joined as always by Ross Anderson. Ross, happy April. Happy April. It is Financial Literacy Month. It is. Well, you went right to the the meaningful stuff. I was thinking April Fool's Day right behind us, but uh, financial literacy, more on brand, I think. That's true. And, And yeah, you know, April Fool's Day, it feels to me like everybody's a little bit over the jokes. Like I saw a number of posts on Facebook and things like that where people were like, you know what, let's let's skip the fake pregnancy announcements and all of this like silly stuff that people do on April 1st. And let's just kind of move on with life. I think everybody's a little shell shocked still. I think so, too. Well, I know last year, not a great year to be joking around. Uh, this year, I saw a lot of my favorite brands that used to do jokes also take a pass on April Fool's. And and maybe that thing is behind us. Maybe we'll leave April Fool's to the to the elementary school kids. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a trend I can get behind. And back to where you went to first, financial literacy. April is Financial Literacy Month. And I think our goal for the next couple of weeks is to offer a couple tips uh, for just getting your financial house in order. Some of them may be repeats for you and some of you may be hearing for the first time. But all of them we feel are, are pretty valuable uh, as you're thinking about your financial health. Now, to be fair, I think we treat every month like Financial Literacy Month. I think as as podcasters in the financial space that want to talk about personal finance and investing in business, you know, financial literacy is essentially the language that we're trying to speak and teach about and talk about on a week-to-week basis. But uh, we do want to give it a little bit of an extra focus this week. Um, and then we've got a great, uh, great guest coming up later on with an interview with the Together We Bake folks, which is a, a wonderful nonprofit that we're really excited to, to share with our listeners if, if they're not already familiar. Absolutely. And to dive right into the financial literacy tips, really, these are helpful calculations or, or data points to be aware of. The first one we thought of was the rule of 72, which I use all the time ever since I learned about it in, uh, I think it was a college class, actually. And uh, Ross, why don't you explain what the rule of 72 is? So I don't think I learned the rule of 72 until after school. And uh, I'm I'm almost glad I didn't because it's kind of a shortcut that I use instinctively now in terms of the way that I do math. And basically what it is, is that a return rate, any return rate divided into 72 is a, a rough approximation of how long it would take your money to double. And so the simplest example is the number 7.2, which divided into 72 means 10, right? So if you're earning a return rate of 7.2% on your assets, you can expect those assets to double in value about every 10 years. The reason that's so helpful for me as a financial planner is that we're normally thinking in terms of very long segments of time. Uh, And so 7.2 is the number I use a lot because it's kind of on the low end of the S&P 500's historical 
stock market earnings range, right? And so if I can quickly take somebody's assets and assume that they're going to double about once every 10 years, then from where you are today, I can quickly kind of jump forwards and backwards in terms of, of where we think we're going to be. Right. It's really good from an expectation setting standpoint. So if you're talking with someone and they have these ideas of growth in terms of time as opposed to rates of return, it's a good way to spot check whether that's reasonable or not. So if you're talking to someone who thinks it might be reasonable to double their money every three and four years, you can very quickly use the rule of 72 to figure out what that would mean to have to do that. And you're talking about you know 15% or close to it for a three to four year uh, doubling of your money. Yeah. So that rule of 72, we use to kind of jump around expectations wise, as well as do some quick math in our head. Uh, and I think the other thing that it really helps illustrate for me is just that value of starting early when it comes to your savings. You know, the earlier that you can start, if you're assuming that your money's going to double every 10 years, well, if you wait 10 years to start saving, if you're a young person and you're in, uh, you know, in your first job and you're going, yeah, I'll get to the 401k, I'll get to the retirement saving stuff later, you've got to realize how much compounding you're giving up. And and having that time on your side is the most precious thing that we can have as investors. And that's the one thing you can never get back. You can always improve your savings rate. You might be able to improve your investing acumen. But once the time is gone, that is irreplaceable. Right. If you start today with a dollar, in 10 years, you have two. 10 years after that, you have four because you're doubling the double. But if you waited 10 years, you've lost all that compounding opportunity. So it is really important. And if you're starting young with decades ahead of you, uh, that's a great way to visualize the power of that of that compounding. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a quick rule that everybody should kind of have in their head uh, to be able to, to do that. So we can also use it to look at something like inflation or, or how quickly your costs are expected to go up. So if you think that your expenses are going to go up by 3% a year, we take 72 divided by 3, well, that means every 24 years, your costs are going to double. So that's really interesting. So if we think your money's going to double every 10 years, but your costs are going to double every 24, well, that's why investing is so powerful, is that we're trying to grow somebody's purchasing power faster than how much their costs are going to go up year over year. Again, I love the rule of 72. It's just a simple thing with one easy number to focus on. The second thing we're going to look at, I believe, also follows that roadmap. One easy number, pretty simple, and that's the 4% rule. So, Ross, why don't you share a little bit about what the 4% rule is and why it's helpful? So I think we could do a whole episode on the 4% rule because it gets debated and kicked around. But in its simplest form, what we're talking about is what is a sustainable withdrawal rate? How much do we think you could take off an investing portfolio at retirement? and likely never run through your money. Now, all of the math based on this was kind of based on a 60-40 portfolio, meaning 60% stocks, 40% bonds. It was somebody retiring at 65 and living a 25-year-long lifetime, right? So there, there's some heavy expectation setting that goes into building the rule. And then they came up with the number that 4.5% of the money could come out of that portfolio. The reason I think this is so powerful, and even though that sounded complicated, the main number you need to remember is that let's call it 4.5%. And that means if you've got a half million dollar portfolio at retirement, that means we think you can take about $20,000 a year, maybe a little bit more than that, sustainably from that portfolio. So we use that number a lot because we're quickly converting what do people have saved relative to 
what do we think they could spend? Now, that's the back of the napkin version. We've got fancy calculators that can do all sorts of projections way out into the future and account for all of these other variables. But for a quick estimate of, hey, how much income could I draw from my assets? That's a quick way to get to it. And again, it's it's not perfect. There's a bunch of things kind of built into it. But if you're looking for how much can I draw income wise, I think it's a fast way to cut the corner. On the flip side of the coin, using that 4% rule is also a great way to figure out how much you need to save if you know how much you think you're going to spend in a year. So for example, if I knew I was going to spend $10,000 a year, I would multiply that by 25, which is how many times 4 goes into 100 to get to 4%, and would know that I need to save about $250,000 to be able to pull $10,000 a year for the rest of my life sustainably. Exactly. Yeah. And th- those two things combined, I think, you know, are the basis for a lot of financial planning. And again, there's a bunch of different things that we can do to make it more complicated. But if you've got a handle on those two functions and how they work, how quickly money is expected to grow as a result of compounding, and then how quickly we think you can deplete or how safely or how safely we think you can draw from your assets without depleting them. You've gotten about 75% of the way through financial planning and doing some of those projections. And that, that's without really putting in any pen to paper. Right. Those two things work great together. Today, how will my money grow to, to, until the time I'm going to retire? Use the rule of 72 for that. And then use the 4% rule to see what kind of income you can draw off of that base. Now, Ross, the last thing we were going to cover today is actually something that I've never done in practice. But when you mentioned it to me, I thought it was really interesting. And that is, what did you call it? The lifetime wealth ratio? Yeah, this is called the lifetime wealth ratio. And this is fairly new to me as well. But what this is, this is going to take a little bit more math or a little bit more work. But for somebody that wants to get an assessment of kind of how they're doing in terms of capturing their income and then investing that and growing wealth. So what we want to first get to is how much money you've earned in income through your lifetime. Now, that might sound like a daunting task, right? If I told you to add up every single year's worth of income. But the fun news here is that the Social Security Administration has been doing this for you since you started working. When you go to ssa.gov, that's the Social Security Administration's website, you can download your estimate, and it literally has an accounting of every single year that you've paid income taxes and that you've declared an income. And in the Medicare column specifically, because Medicare doesn't cap out like Social Security does, you can simply add that entire row up. And if you add up every single year's worth of income, you come to a final number of what you've earned income-wise throughout your lifetime. For those keeping track, that remains a daunting task to me because I have locked myself out of my Social Security access online. Nailing it, Dan. You're, you're, you're setting a great example for our listening audience. I'm setting a realistic example, and I think that's really what people want. Well, I, I think it's going to come down that more people just haven't ever logged into it than have actually locked themselves out. So I hope you're in the minority there, because you at least were trying to get in at some point, and that's why you've got the problem, and I'm sure you're going to have to call them. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to calling Social Security. All right. So once you come up with that number the number you're going to compare it to is your total net worth. And when we compare your total net worth relative to your total lifetime earned income, you're going to probably come up with a percentage. Most people haven't saved or accumulated more than their total lifetime 
income, but that could actually be a goal is to get that number to one. But you might see that you've accumulated 10% or 15% or 30% of what you've earned through your lifetime. And what I really like about this, and this is going to be less important for somebody that's really early on in their career, but, but probably more important for somebody that's a little bit later approaching retirement, is it's really measuring two things. Number one is your savings discipline, right? So if you're trying to increase your net worth relative to what you've earned, you can do that by saving a bigger portion of your income. The other thing it's going to be checking is whether or not you've invested well, right? If you invest those savings very well, you're going to accumulate a bigger net worth if you've been disciplined and been, been smart about what you're doing. Um, so that's not as much a number where I'm going to tell you that there's an exact right answer or wrong answer, but I do think it's really interesting to look at how much you've accumulated relative to what you've earned over your lifetime. And it's a it's a fun metric. Uh, I'm using fun loosely here as a financial person, but I think it's a fun metric to look at and get an understanding of of how am I doing. And that's something you may want to track over time and make sure the trajectory is going the right direction. So I think that's it for our three tips today. As we kind of kick off Financial Literacy Month, we're going to do more of those throughout the shows all the way through April uh, and really in, in our shows all the time. But we're going to turn it over to an interview with the Together We Bake Communications Director, Lucy Von Fonestock. We are so thrilled to have Lucy on the show. Together We Bake is a nonprofit based in Alexandria, Virginia, that we think is doing some really incredible work uh, with some local women in the area. And we're going to kick it over to her now. Today, we are joined by Lucy Von Fonestock of Together We Bake. And uh, Lucy, we were really appreciative to have you here this week. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Together We Bake is an organization that's that's local to us. Uh, Ross and I have been familiar with them for, for many years now and even helped out a little bit as part of their training program. And uh, our goal was really to bring them to the forefront of our audience and make sure people aware of, were aware of the good work they're doing and uh, hopefully learn a little bit more about their origin story and how you can help as well. Yeah, so, so Lucy, I guess, can, can you kick us off with that? Because on the website, it says it's been around since 2012. Um, how, how did Together We Bake become what it is today? And, and can you take us through what, what that process looked like? Sure. So our co-founders, Stephanie Wright and Tricia Sabatini, um, they love to run. And so their children were in school together, and they would, you know, just... Um, go on runs together. And Stephanie comes from a social work background and Trisha had a small business. She was running out of her house where she was selling cookies. So they were talking and they're like, how can we combine this together and also empower women? And so that's when Together We Wake was born. Well, I can certainly see the the cookies and the running needing to go together because the cookies are delicious, but the running seems to probably help there. (laughs) You can eat more cookies the more you run, you know. That's awesome. So, uh, so the cookies were really already happening. That wasn't necessarily being generated as as the program launched. That was kind of just merging those two interests together. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And then Stephanie came up with the granola recipe, and I believe four years ago, in twenty sixteen, four or five years ago, twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, um, they merged with a company called Fruit Cycle, which was founded by Elizabeth Bennett Parker. And the purpose of that was to take or to repurpose ugly produce and make something delicious and beautiful from it. And so that's where we got our apple chips from. Awesome. 
And so at the core of this program is really empowering women. In the first iteration of of the program of Together We Bake, what did that look like? Where were they working out of it? And who were their first um, employees? Yeah, so Together We Bake, I mean, it was just Stephanie and Tricia for a while. They partnered with an organization called Guest House, um, and that's a transitional program for women coming from the criminal justice system or the corrections system. Um, and that's, you know, they partnered with them at first. And then I believe in 2014 or 2015, they grew a bit more and branched away from Guest House and kind of were running it on their own. Um, their first hire was Kalita. Uh, she still works there. She graduated from the Together We Bake program in 2014. And today she is our kid. She's head of the kitchen. She runs the Serve Safe program and teaches the ladies who come through our program Serve Safe and food safety education. Um, <clears throat> and so she started out just working the farmer's market and worked up. And again, she's in charge of the kitchen. She runs the whole operation, which is awesome. That's fantastic. So can you take us through what the program looks like for, for the women that are joining you guys? How long are they with you? And, and you know, what are all the different skill sets that, that are being taught through Together We Bake? Sure. So typically, you know, not a COVID year, uh, we do four classes a year um, in each season. So it's typically eight weeks, um, six weeks in the summer, and the women will come three days a week, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Um, it used to be 9.30 to 1.30, but in 2020, we launched a digital literacy program and it added into the program. And so we've extended the day by an hour. So it's 9.30 to 2.30, three days a week. Um, and so the ladies come in and typically they will start their morning off with a morning meeting, you know, figure out what they have in store for the day and they'll break off into teams. So you're either on the business team or on the kitchen team. And so based on the day, that's what you do. You're in the kitchen learning production, um, all the skills involved with that, how to measure, how to bake, um, time management, teamwork. It's really awesome. And then on the business side of things, they learn um, how to take inventory, how to process orders, how to ship the orders. So it's pretty holistic in that sense. And so when the team's time is done, they'll split off and they'll come back or excuse me, they'll come back together. And they'll sit through an empowerment group. So we always do an empowerment group, um, which really helps develop soft skills. So this is where we address, you know, histories of trauma, histories of abuse. Um, we give them, we provide them skills with, you know, anger management, like how to handle that communication skills, which are so important. We teach mindfulness as a tool to cope with all of that stuff. Um, there are some days where we do yoga all together, which is always one of my favorite days. It's fun. Um, and we also partner with a couple different people. For exa example, Negotiation Works, we partner with them. They'll come in and teach negotiation workshops, which has been really helpful to the women who come through the program. Um, additionally, we partner with volunteers in our community who are all trained to be job counselors, and they work with the women one-on-one -on -one to develop career goals. You know, I mentioned that we started a digital literacy program and digital literacy can be a challenge for the women who come through the program. And so sometimes when the, they're first meeting with their job counselors, they're setting up their Google accounts 
but they work on interview skills, resume writing, um, kind of a direction that they want to go towards, which is really great. Um, and they really develop a really great relationship with their job counselors. So, I mean, it sounds like it's really a full life cycle from everything you would need to know uh, to, to to essentially plug yourself into a business and, and to have those job and life skills to to, to become very, very productive. Um, I mean, do you guys have just a, a huge list of great stories and, and folks that have come through your program and, and uh, been, been, been able to celebrate what they've done? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh gosh, there are too many. And I just, so in addition to Kalita, we also are employing like over half of our staff are alumni. Um, we have Liz, who's also a program director. She does the empowerment groups and business skills. Um, she graduated from the program in 2015, and she's been working there since 2018. Um, Teresa graduated from our first summer program, um, and she was hired in the following October in 2018. Um, and she's now a full-time staff ass- or a production assistant. And we recently just hired somebody new to work with alumni engagement and employer partners. And she also graduated from the program. Speaking of alumni engagement, the program has been around for a long time. Do you have any sense of how many women have graduated the program over the years? Yeah. So with our latest class this past winter, I believe we're around 215 graduates. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I saw on the website that uh, the completion rate is in you know the ninety percent range, mm-hmm. and the, the serve safe exam that you mentioned uh, was in the you know ninety seven percent passage rate. And I realize those are couple year old statistics, but I mean it just seems like you guys have incredible throughput on kind of getting people all the way through the program that you've started. Yes, absolutely. We, <clears throat> excuse me. We work really hard with the women who come through the program to help them complete it. You know, if we provide transportation stipends to help them get here. Um, Stephanie, she's so awesome. She, she, Stephanie is typically the one to work, you know, on strategies to help the ladies get through it. Um, but it's pretty impressive. And, you know, it's a program that women want to show up to. They want to engage with. They want to better themselves. They establish a relationship and a new community of strong women. And a lot of women coming through the program don't have that background. It's hard to trust women. So to be able to lean on people who can relate to you in that way is really special. Together We Bake is a great organization. uh, But what's also interesting is it's a very visible brand now. So walking into Whole Foods, you see the cookies, the granola, the fruit everywhere. How has the program and the company changed as it's become more visible and more recognizable to people? Yeah, so, you know, we've gotten a lot more employer, or excuse me, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Referral partners. Um, And a lot of referrals we get are from people who've already been through the program and they send their friends and family. So that's been really cool to see. And then it's been really cool to see our brand expanding. And, you know, we are in the Whole Foods in Old Town, which is awesome. We do the farmer's markets around here. Um, Recently, in the past two or three years, a company called Packed with Purpose had started incorporating Together We Bake products in their corporate um, gift packages, which has been really awesome for business. Um, We're partnering with Pacers Running um, for their 10K um, coming up 
and we're giving them cook or they bought cookies from us. And they're going to hand out at the end of the race, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, Dan and I uh, have also, you know, in our very small way and granted our, our new business is very much in infancy uh, stages, but uh, we've been sending some of your all's cookies around the country as well. And uh, I've gotten nothing but, but incredible compliments. So uh, for anybody that's listening to this right now and has not had a together, we bake cookie, even though you're going to feel good about the purchase because of all the great work that they're doing, you're also really going to enjoy the cookie. I remember uh, <laughs> sitting around, around the lunch table with uh with the crew back back in the day when we were together in person and someone would bring a together we bake cookie bag and it would just be the the biggest deal because everyone wants them but you also feel like I shouldn't eat all these cookies but you just can't avoid it they're they're too good they are delicious i've definitely had too many in one sitting yeah not to ignore the granola and the fruit like those are great too but the cookies are magnetic yes so uh the process of all of that you know, how, I guess, how involved do, do the women coming through the program get in, you know, are they able to make changes or, or, you know, try different things in the kitchen? Or is it a lot about kind of learning how to execute the steps that, that make that, that product so successful? So traditionally, it's a lot about, you know, working with our products. Um, but, you know, with the pandemic, we've had to get creative because you can't be um, too close in the kitchen. So when we were in person for the fall class, we only the ladies were one at a time in the kitchen, and they only got about two days in the kitchen. So we supplemented that with an online culinary program called Ruby, where they learn a lot of different skills around baking. And that's led to a lot of awesome guest chef experiences. That's another thing we provide through the program. So they've learned how to make biscuits, pie crust, um, different types of chocolate desserts, which is really cool. That's awesome. I think this is a great model for helping people and, and doing good in the community. Has there been any interest or any efforts to replicate it elsewhere or expand this concept into other regions? Yes. So, um, part of our strategic plan in 2018 going forward was potential replication. And since then, we've kind of adjusted our priorities. And um, I think we have decided that we would like to grow and serve more women in our community here. We've definitely had interested people reach out to us and ask about the program, how we got it started, what they could do, or how they could do something similar in their own communities, which is pretty cool. Do you find that there is a backlog of people waiting to get in? I'm not sure what the enrollment process is like, uh, but I'd imagine it can be really attractive to have that kind of training and then come out with immediately applicable skills in the in the job yeah. market. Yeah, absolutely. So the recruiting process is, um, you know, people get the information, they come to an open house, be it in person or it's been virtual recently. Um and they go through the open house. If they find that they are interested, they'll go through the interview process with Stephanie, Trisha, and Liz. Um, and based on that interview, they will either be accepted into the program or we're going to tell them, hey, I don't know if you're quite ready for this yet. It might be good for you to wait till the next section. Or maybe there's a scheduling conflict with the potential team member herself where she wants to wait. But we've definitely had to cap off. Um, the amount of women in the program because you don't want it too big because that takes away from like the intimacy and closeness of the group. 
So, yeah. Well, I, from, from our view, that's probably the good problem to have, right? I mean, it means that you guys are doing work that, that is both being desired from the community as well as the, the participants that, that are going to uh, take part in it. And I, I think that's a great testament to the work you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So uh, for our folks that are, are out here and want to participate in some way or another, how can they find you guys? How can they help? What what is, is there anything you all need other than hungry cookie shoppers? <laughs> we always need hungry cookie shoppers. Absolutely. But um, you can check us out and learn more about Together We Bake at our website, www.togetherwebake.org. Or you can follow us on social media. We are at Together We Bake on Facebook and Instagram, or excuse me, on Facebook and Twitter. And then on Instagram, we are at Together underscore We underscore Bake. And so it's a great place to learn more and get involved. Awesome. Thank you, Lucy, so much for joining us today. We appreciate having you on the show and uh, hope to have you back again in the future. Of course. Thank you so much. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Check Your Balances. Thank you for tuning in and thank you to Lucy and the entire crew at Together We Bake. We hope that people do take this opportunity to come check out the great work you guys are doing and also enjoy the product as much as we do. Uh, We're definitely fans. If you've got questions, things you think we should be covering as part of our show, check your balances at outlook.com is the email address. Also, if you give us a subscription or a rating on any of the podcast platforms that you listen on, we would appreciate it. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.